forgive me apologizes for the length of time that I am spending in the tabernacle. But then the other part of me says, why should I apologize if that's where I'm, 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 I'm reading? And, and when you begin to study something in the Bible, it just gets a hold of you. I don't know if any of you have ever done that, but there's just something about it. When you read the Bible, not just to check off a check mark on a, on a Bible reading program so you somehow feel better, but when you say, Lord, let your word speak, it just gets all in you. It just gets all in you. And I, I want to, I, I don't know that I'm going to, blow your mind with anything uh, I, I was trying to find it I, I don't have it on my computer but one of the very first sermons not the first but one of the very first sermons I ever preached and I have it in a paper form somewhere I was, I was most likely still uh, in my teens when I preached it there at, at Gateway and by the way to all of our Urshan College students we're glad you're here as well and uh, I'm connected at least by the same campus. I graduated in 2001 from Gateway, which is now Urshan College, Urshan Graduate School of Theology. But we say welcome to the Lighthouse, to all of those students that are here uh, learning and seeking. And it's kind of cool because not only do we get the out-of-town Urshan students, we get some of the homegrown Urshan students. And we're glad for those that are here and going for that as well. But um, I preached a message called Doing Your Best where only God can see. And I began to think about this uh, a, a, a little bit ago, and I want to invite your attention. I want to just kind of tell a story. I want to take something that in the Bible becomes so um, dry, and I want to breathe some life into it. Not that the Bible needs life, but just sometimes the stories. You, you don't see how big they are. And so I, I want you to turn, if you will. Would you, would you go to um, the book of Exodus? And I want you to uh, turn with me into, let's see, how about chapter 26 of Exodus. What I mean by sometimes the Bible is dry, if you read the book of Numbers, you, 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 it's like a genealogy. It says how many people did this and how many people did that. And, and I'm going to tell you, if you're reading the Bible just to check off a, a, a checklist, when you get to the genealogies, my eyes cross. I don't know if you do this, but when I get really tired and I'm driving, my eyes start crossing and, and it just, everything goes out of focus and I don't know what to do. That's how it is. But man, this time when I began to read the book of Numbers, there was a place where it talked about how many people it took to carry the, the, the tabernacle from one place to the other. Thousands. And then another place that I just read in the Bible, it said that the, the pillar of fire... And the pillar of smoke would hover over the tabernacle. And as long as it stayed over the tabernacle, they had to stay where they were encamped. But if it moved, they had to move. And the Bible says, if it was one day, can you imagine having to set your house up one day and then 24 hours later, you got to move and pack it all up and go somewhere else? If it was one day, they did it. If it was two weeks, if it was three months, and it took all these people to do it. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm just, as I, as I begin to look at the tabernacle, you know, we, we, we started three years ago, or a little, over, a little over two and a half years ago, our Give to Grow, our building fund. And we started by talking about the contributions that Moses asked of the people for the tabernacle, for the house of God. 
And they began to bring the things that they got from from Egypt. When they left Egypt after the plagues, when they left Egypt, their neighbors said, get out of here, here's some gold, here's some silver, here's some fine garments, just take it, just leave. And they left not a people who were slaves, but they left a very wealthy people. And so they began to bring their contributions and they begin to build what the tabernacle was. You've heard me talk about the the 75 pound hammered gold, solid gold lampstand. It came from the people that brought their gold. But somebody had to sit down and painstakingly hammer and create that lampstand. Somebody had to have some carpentry skills. And you can read it in the Bible. There were those that are mentioned by name. So there were was, there was some carpenters that took some acacia wood and they built an altar and then they overlaid that altar with bronze. The laver, they took the, 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 the mirrors of the women and they created the laver and, and all of this began to happen. But then you, you begin to go, if I could, if I could take you to uh, chapter 27 for just a moment. In verse 9 it says you're going to make the court of the tabernacle. It was going to be 150 feet long, or rather, 100. You, you, you'd have a, a two, two long uh, curtains, 150 feet long. And what it meant was one would go 100 feet, make a 90 degree angle, and that would be the side and the back, and then the other one would go 100 feet. So you had you had a hundred foot long court, 50 foot wide, and and they would take it and they made it out of fine woven linen. Now, how many of you ladies, I guess men, I, I know some men that are able to do this. Um, any of you ladies uh, sew, crochet, uh, knit? Let me see your hands. All right. I, I, I am the world's best. My mother, my, my grandmother, my grandmother was the most incredible crocheter I've ever seen in my life. And she taught me a little bit how to crochet. I can make, for those of you that crochet, I can make the best snake you have ever seen. It is awesome. It could be 100 feet long. I don't know how to connect them and make something that's big, but I can make one chain, I guess is what they call it. I'm awesome at that. But, you know, when I look at, when I look at a seamstress, when I look at someone who, who understands the craft of textiles and, and they embroider or they, they, they know how to smock or they know how to weave or, or, or anything like that, it's amazing. But somebody had to sit down and create a woven linen curtain 150 feet long and I and and uh let, let's see how, how tall was it I want to say it was um like like 14 foot tall I, I may be completely wrong with that I didn't write that down but they had to do that and so here I, in my mind I, I, I see some ladies I'm not trying to be chauvinistic but that's what I assume the ladies get around and they begin to weave this and you've got two of them going and and someone says man that's pretty cool and they said yeah it's going to be the the fence of the tabernacle. But then over in another area, and this is where I want you to turn back with me uh, to chapter 26. And, and I want you to, I want to really look at verse 31. Chapter 26 and verse 31. And you'll make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. It will be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. I wish I could paint a picture, but none of us really know what it looked like. But somebody began to weave a veil. It would have been approximately 30 foot wide. It would have been 15 foot tall. And that veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. 
And then it said you're going to embroider all over this cherubims out of gold thread. You have some people that were, that were working on this, this linen fence that's 150 foot long, two of them. And then some others, man, the most intricate, most amazing work you've ever seen. Don't make fun of the way I say that word, Zane Buford. I'll remove you to the back row. Not enough that Sister Stacy gives me those looks, but my own flesh and blood. Come on now. Ah, man. <laughs> I'm feeling my oats today. They, this finely woven thing. And, and I, I can just imagine, and, and pardon me for taking it outside what the Bible says and using my imagination, but Brother Norm, I, I kind of get this feeling that somebody walks by and says, I've never seen work like this. Where's that going? Well, as far as I know, it's going to be a veil in the middle of a tabernacle. Oh, you mean and we get to go in this place and we get to see it? No, no, not really. Just a few priests are going to be able to ever see this. And in fact, the other side of it, only one man a year will get to see this. And then somebody else begins to, to, to weave. And, and if you begin to look at the tabernacle, it says that, that there were curtains inside that were probably very similar to this curtain. And then on top of that, they would make curtains of goat hair, so it would be woven goat hair. That was on top of that. And then on top of the woven goat hair was tanned ram skins, and so if you will, a type of leather was on top of that. And then on top of the leather, they put what the Bible says uh, were badger skins, uh, and there are about 14 different examples of what people think the badger skins were. Some people say they were real badgers, like you think of. Others say they were goat skins. And even other translations says that they were actually something more like the manatee or the dedong. And uh, the things that they have, and they were waterproof, and they created this. And so I can just see this person who has taken hours of her time. Her fingers are bleeding because of how carefully she's weaving into this beautiful tapestry, these golden threads, only to realize that the most beautiful uh, tapestry in the world is going to be covered by four layers and what most people ever see is badger skins. Begin to walk through history and you go to 1 Kings chapter 7 and you begin to watch how King Solomon begins to build his, the, the temple for God. King Solomon in verse 13 of 1 Kings chapter 7, he, he brings Haram from Tyre, the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali. His father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze. He was full of wisdom and understanding and skill for making any work in bronze. And he came to Solomon and he did all of his work. And Solomon said, I need, I need the person who knows how to work with bronze better than anybody else. And, and I, I have this vision. And, and, of course, we know it was God giving the design to, to David, David laying it out, David getting the material. But now it comes and Solomon begins to build it. And in verse 15 of 1 Kings chapter 7, And Hiram cast two pillars of bronze. These two pillars, as far as I can understand, they were kind of in the outside. There was a, uh, like a vestibule that went into the, tent, into the temple proper. 
these two pillars were there. 18 cubits high. A line of 12 cubits did they compass. Since none of you speak cubits, let me help you out. They were 27 feet tall. To give you an idea, from, from right here to the top of the ceiling is 14 foot. They were taller than that. From one side of this building to the other, I, I keep forgetting, it's either 32 foot or, thir- or 34 foot, but you get an idea. He made these pillars of bronze. They were 27 feet tall. 12 cubits around meant that they were 12 foot around. Then he said that they were four fingers thick. A little over three inches thick. They were hollow. I want you you to think about that. They were incredible structures. They were pillars. But then, not only that, there, there's something in it. And, and ever since I've been a, a, a young man, you know, some of y'all's age, there, there, Brother Andrew, your age. And so, when, ever since I've done that, I, I've looked at this. Because it wasn't enough that he built a pillar that was 27 feet tall. But then he built what they call a capital on top of the pillar. On top of this, and I'm going to read it, he made two capitals of cast bronze to set atop the pillars. The height of one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other was five cubits. That's seven and a half foot tall. Now, I think if I do my math correct, 27 foot for the pillar, another seven and a half foot uh, for that, that, that capital that sits on top, that, that's, uh, 20, that's what, 34 and a half foot? That's, that's taller then you, you couldn't lay that, that pillar down on this floor. On that capital, it says that he, there were lattices of checker work with wreaths of chain work. A lattice for one capital, a lattice on the other. He made pomegranates in two rows around one of the lattice works that covered it. And he did the same with the other. And then he put lily work upon that rounded projections above the lattice work. There were 200 pomegranates in two rows around each one. And I begin to think about that. How many of you have ever been to the uh, art museum? Or any art museum? Have you ever noticed that almost always they hang the artwork at eye level? They do their best because what they want is for you to walk in and be able to see it and to enjoy it and to, to, to have it. They, they do it there. In fact, I've, I've been to art museums where it's, it's, it deals with architecture and they would have taken these old pillars from these Greek and Gothic places and they kind of don't put the pillar there and they bring the, the top of the pillar down so that you can really see the work that was done. And in my mind, again, I I see Hiram sitting there painstakingly crafting in bronze and forging in bronze and engraving in bronze this incredibly detailed work. He's got lattice work that he's, he's... built into it. He's got pomegranates, that, that 200 of them that go around, lily work that's there. And I can imagine someone saying, I've never seen anything like this. Where is this going? 27 feet up. Really? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do all of that about six foot on the pillar where when we walk in, we get to see it? 
And, and I am, I'm, I'm struck by that. And then I begin to realize he did his best work where only God could see. When God looked down from heaven, the first thing that God saw was that work of pomegranates and lily and lattice work. Because it wasn't for the people going in the tabernacle. It was for the God of that temple. Begs the question in your life and in my life, where do you do your best work? Now, I'm going to give you some negative verses, but, but I, I want to I, I try to balance the negative of what is said by the opposite, which would be the positive. Okay, When the Bible says, thou shalt not lie, that's negative. But it is not stretching to say that what that verse means is, tell the truth. Does everybody understand? There's a negative statement, don't lie. But you could say that positively by saying, tell the truth. So I want to give you some negative statements, but I want you to see the positive out of it. Psalms chapter 90 and verse 8. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. I don't believe our secret sins are the only thing that God has access to see. Because I believe in our life there can be other things that are good that are done in secret that God sees because God is the one that discerns. He's the one that can reach into the heart and discern the thoughts and the, and, and the intents of the heart. How do I know this? Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14, it says it this way. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. We always think judgment's bad. I don't like judgments. But watch what it says. He'll bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So there can be secret good works. Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8 almost use the exact same words, but they say, For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was there anything kept secret that it should come abroad. The point is this, there is a God that has the ability to see the secret. And I don't think our lives should be secret sins only, because a lot of us are real good at that. I dare say that each one of us have sins that only you and God know about. You've never told anybody else. But I want to take it out of that, and I want to tell you that you need to do your very best where only God can see. So I want to take you, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm, this is not a, a deep message. If, if I had to condense the message down to one phrase, I've already done it. Do your best where only God sees. There you go. And Brother Justin, don't get up and leave. That's what you threatened to do the other day when I gave you in the office my, uh, my thesis statement. But I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. And I hope that the words of Jesus might bring this into it. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when, therefore, when you do your alms, don't sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they'll have their reward. But when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand does, that your alms may be in secret, and that the Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now, just so no one questions, 
I know today we, we talked about She's for Christ and we, we gave some honor. That's okay to do. We're not talking about things like that. But, uh, and I, I'm, 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 I'm going to get myself in trouble because there's people from my past that are in this church and you've been to churches that I've attended anywhere. And so if, if, if but I remember a church I grew up in. There was a lady that always gave in the offering and she was always the very last to come and she always wanted everybody to know how much she was given. I remember as a kid watching that. But if you're given so that everybody goes, pats you on the back and says, man, you're awesome, you've missed the point. Our best things can be done where only God can see. But God doesn't stop there. He says, and when you pray, don't be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they shall have their reward. But thou, when you pray, enter into your closet. And when you've shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, that thy Father which, is see, which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Don't be like them, for your Father knows the things which you have need of before you ask of him. And then he launches into the Lord's Prayer. If the only time you pray is in church where everybody can hear you and see you, you're missing out because your best prayers ought to be where nobody saw. Oh, but, but, but let's keep going. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad, count, of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they shall have their reward. But when you fast, anoint thine head and wash thy face and don't appear unto men to fast. But unto thy father which is in secret and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Alright, I'm pastor. In a sense y'all paid me to pastor so I'm a medal. Here you go, you ready? If you decide to fast Facebook, and I'm okay with that. You just saw a video that showed... Uh, uh, some studies about how much people are spending on social media but if you decide to fast Facebook and the first thing you do is say hey everybody I'm going on a three day fast so if you miss me you know just I'm not going to be there I, I, I'm not fasting so I'm going to be off for three days so if you need me you know you can text me or you can call me I'm going to tell you right now the world will not die if you're not on Facebook for three days is that good meddling brother Perryman drives me crazy even when people aren't fasting, I love it. Somebody, I've got various groups. I'm on on Facebook and somebody get mad and say, I'm leaving, I'm going, I hate this group. And I'm like, dude, just leave. Because they don't leave, they stick around. <laughs> but they want everybody to know they're up in arms. When we fast, now sometimes we call a, a, a church-wide fast. Sometimes we'll say, hey, let's, let's do a month of prayer and fasting. Who will help us out? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I want to do my best work where only God can see. If, if the only time I pray, if the only time I read my Bible is so that I have a sermon to preach, I'm not doing my best work where only God can see. 
And so I've got to, as a pastor, as a minister, I've got to make sure that I'm spending time in prayer, in time in the Word, not just so I can get up here and preach a good sermon to you, but because I want God to speak to me and he, I want Him to know that I'm doing my best work in the secret. He goes on to say, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves don't break through or steal. For where the treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's amazing when you begin to look at all of that, you begin to see it. You do your best work where only God can see. So, how do you do that? I, I, I wish I could, you know, lay it out so just perfectly for you. But to be honest, only you know where it is that you can do your best work. I love it when, when people say, you know what, I'm going to do a good job even if nobody sees me. I'll, I'll use Brother Dwayne. I'll use Brother Brother uh, Perryman. But Cozart's not here, and 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 if I'm missing by, but but these are craftsmen, people who build things. I've watched houses that Dwayne's built, and and there's a lot of people that know how to paint a wall really pretty. But you know what I like? I like to open a cabinet. I like to look inside the cabinet, and I like it when they've done the best work inside the cabinet where not anybody just sees it. That you're not just putting a good facade on the outside. And and trust me, I've been in enough houses built by builders who don't care that on the outside they look awesome. But when you get in them, you feel like you're kind of in a fun house. I'm not asking if any of you own one of those houses. Not that you built it, but I've seen it. Build, you have a brand new house built, looks awesome, looks beautiful, and three months the windows start leaking and they didn't put the right flashing on the roof and so now your, 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 your chimney's leaking and it's because they wanted it to look good but there was no nothing in the secret places so I, I, I give honor to craftsmen like that to know that they didn't just do a good job on the outside but they made sure that on the inside they still did it If all you ever do is make the outside look good, the Bible says you're a hypocrite. You're you're, you're a whitewashed sepulcher, mausoleum. You look good on the outside, but you serve only one purpose. You're full of dead men's bones. Because I'm not here for you. My life and my worship and 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 what I do, it's it's not for you. I like to sing and I like to play instruments and I like to preach but my worship is not for you. If the only time I worship is when I have a solo to sing, if the only time I give is when I can get some recognition, if the only time I work is where everybody sees me. Thursday I had to go out of town had to preach in Mount Vernon Friday night and Saturday night. But I had to swing by the church, had to get my computer, and I pulled in church. I need to throw, had, had some trash in my car. I wanted to throw it in the dumpster, and I pulled around, threw it in the dumpster, and I got to looking. 
now I'm, I'm kind of doing this, this is, you know, this is not why, but I just got to explain, use it as an example. There in the flower bed was Sister Sharon. You know what she was doing? She was picking weeds. She was helping create a, a, a barrier from the flower bed in that. Nobody seeing. Nobody watching. Because sometimes we do our best work where only God can see. That, honestly, I, I've used the example, maybe someone saw Hiram doing that, or but maybe they didn't. Maybe no one ever realized the work that Hiram did 34 and a half foot above the ground. Maybe they never realized that there were 200 pomegranates that he carved there. Lattice work and wreaths of lilies. Maybe they never saw it. But here's the thing. Hiram knew. And every time that Hiram got a chance to walk into that outer vestibule of that temple, he could look up and say, God, I hope you can see because all of my worship belongs to you. I want you to stand today. Again, a message like this is not so much done if I say, hey, everybody come and let's weep and cry and there's a place for that and this morning was a, an incredible moment but to be honest, this is one of those things that you take with you and it's what you do Monday that matters. I've, I've heard all my life that character and integrity is who you are when nobody's watching. Anybody ever heard that? Character and integrity. Character and integrity is not when when, when, when mom and dad's watching or our, our character and integrity is not to be measured when, when you know your teacher is looking or character and integrity is measured when nobody sees I would like to tell you and, and, and to put that a little bit further your worship and your service to God is characterized most not what people see but what only God sees Urshan college students you're, you're going there and you're wanting to, to invest in your ministry you're going to have opportunities to sing and be in the choir and the chorale and opportunities to go and preach and, and all of those, those things and that's great and I want you to take every advantage of it but I'm telling you right now it's not going to be what you do on the platform that matters because I could show you hundreds hundreds people that I went to Bible college with and had connections with that they look good on the outside but they aren't doing anything right now because they never did anything where only God could see young people I want you to grab hold of this this principle because if you'll get it right now for the rest of your life you'll watch God begin to move and God, remember the Bible verse I read if you'll do it in secret God will see it in secret but will, will reward you openly and if you want God to use you then you need to learn to create your best where only God could see I want to invite you to close your eyes if you want to come to the front you're more than welcome to but I think no matter where you are you need to spend some time talking to the Lord and you need to examine your life. Look, look at the pillars that you've erected. See if the top of the pillar is not nearly as pretty as right where, where everybody sees it. Begin to examine that.
And I want you to begin to make some changes in your life right now in the name of Jesus. Jesus